stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, -face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, have them go to www.hotm.tv, and they can watch from anywhere in the world streaming video live. I was a born-again Mormon. The manuscript is available for free download just by going to that same site, www. .hotm.tv, click on download, comes to you some magical way, and you can have it in your hands. How about joining a weekly verse-by-verse, -verse, never denominational Bible study. Join us at campus every Sunday at either Utah State in Logan or at the U of U in Salt Lake City. Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information like times and directions for the end of last year, we spent a number of weeks talking about LDS racism. I made the statement that um, most LDS believers, 35 to 40 and older, were taught racist doctrines as members of the LDS church, and that the true believers, in all probability, retained much of that racist doctrine in their mind. Well, welcome, Senator Harry Reid. Uh, Reed is a first-generation member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He and his wife converted to Mormonism while Reed was in college. This meant he converted right about the time that Marky e. Peterson, Apostle Marky e. Peterson, was spouting unbelievable racist rhetoric from the Mormon pulpit. So recently, a book by journalists Mark Halperin and John Heileman called Game Change, which is a book about the 2008 election, of uh, Obama, uh, it revealed that Mormon Senator Harry Reid privately stated that he believed, quote, Barack Obama was well suited to the presidential run because he is a light-skinned African-American with no Negro dialect unless he wanted to have one. Now, I want to try and be fair. I think it's very possible that Senator Reid actually meant this as a sort of pragmatic statement. And uh, if this is so, I don't think it's racist in the least. It's just a comment about what might make somebody more acceptable in the public eye uh, or not. However, however, the man is a believer in the Book of Mormon where skin tone, whiter and whiter and more delightsome, is tied to a person's abilities and righteousness. And so it makes you wonder if some of those things actually did creep out accidentally uh, on Senator Harry Reid. We won't ever know, I guess. And with that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we uh, love you and need you in our lives. We pray for our audience out there in uh, television and, and YouTube land, and we pray for our audience here. We pray for our volunteers, our staff, 
and uh, people who are searching for truth. So help uh, the show to go well tonight and that we'll be able to dialogue about the truths you want people to know. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I revealed one of my profound ignorances again by saying that this week we were going to talk either about apostasy or apostles, but I forgot about an important A word in our uh, alphabetical going through the Bible, and that's very important between the dialogue between biblical Christianity and Mormonism. That A word is angels. Angels play a prominent role in the development of Mormonism and are explained and understood in ways that are not biblical and certainly not embraced by the Christian world. The reason? Joseph Smith, plain as day, authored a perverted gospel, and uh, as spoken of in Galatians 1, even down to the topic of angels. Why don't we first take a look at what the Word of God, the Bible, has to say about angels. The word angel in both Hebrew and Greek means simply a messenger, and it is used to describe any agent of God that brings a message. For instance, human, uh, ordinary human messengers are described, and I think we're going to have the scriptures come up. So we have ordinary human messenger there, and we have the reference of where you can see how angels are, uh, ordinary human messengers are called angels. And then we have prophets are called angels, and we have priests are called angels. And there's even human ministers of the New Testament in Revelation 120 that are referred to as angels. The term is also implied to non-human uh, impersonal agents like pestilence is in scripture, calling pestilence an angel. And the wind in Psalm is referred to as an angel. Now remember, the general title of angel does not necessarily denote that... Um, it has a heavenly, angelic nature, but often it just refers to the office of the messenger itself. Even the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, Jehovah, uh, Yahweh, he is called an angel when he made Christophanies. That's when the personage of Christ made a pre-incarnate uh, visitation in the Old Testament, and that he's even referred to as an angel there. But tonight, we're going to focus on the more um, distinct application of the word angel as it relates to those heavenly beings uh, who God uses to do his will both in the economy of heaven and on earth. Okay, so in the Bible, God does not say, in the beginning I created uh, angels this way, the angels of heaven. And with these attributes, this is how you're supposed to relate to angels. We never get a direct quote from God about how they were created where they actually came from, how they, what they consist of, or what their full purpose is. Now, because God didn't do this, good old Joseph Smith thought he should. And uh, we're going to discuss what he had to say about them in a minute. Now, the Bible does, however, provide us with ample incidental information about angels. And this is really important because where the Word of God gives us numerous puzzle pieces... And when you study the Word of God, those puzzle pieces start fitting together and you can kind of create a picture of what angels or some other thing that you're interested in in the Scripture is about. It's, it's throughout the Bible that you gain your whole knowledge of the singular subject. But uh, Joseph Smith, he provided extra-biblical information to people by virtue of his spiritual nature. He said, this is what they're about, and people just believed it because he said it. Anyway, we know from the Bible that heavenly angels have a personal existence. 
And this is plainly implied in the scriptures, Genesis, and you can see those on the screen, Judges, Matthew, Hebrews. Angels are superior beings, and they are very numerous. Uh, Daniel says thousands upon thousands, uh, and so does Hebrews and Matthew. They are also spoken as of having uh, various ranks and, um, and powers, and I would probably say, this is conjecture, it doesn't say this, but I would say the picture we get is they are like an army, and there's a general and a colonel and a major and a private and a grunt and a whatever they have in the army, and you have these hierarchies. I don't know if there's any grunt angels, but you have this, this hierarchy of power and might within the uh, heavenly realm. We might not be incorrect to liken them that way. Based on Hebrews 1.4, we know, 1.14, excuse me, they are spirit, okay? But um, they seem to be constructed with a soul like uh, humanity. So men and women have a soul, and that's their mind, their will, and their emotions. And it seems that angels are constructed in a similar way. Whenever angels come to speak to man, at least in scripture, they always come in the form of a man. And imperfection is ascribed to angels um, because they're created being, they're creatures, and therefore, based on Job and Matthew and 1 Peter, we know that angels are imperfect. Therefore, because they are finite creatures, they can fall into temptation. And accordingly, we read about fallen angels. Now, often in the context of an afterlife discussion, sometimes I'll hear or we'll hear people say, who on earth would die and be in the presence of God and reject him? You know, they might be talking about the person who never heard the name Jesus Christ or, and, and dies, and then they say, you know, they're going to reject. Why on earth would they do that? When they die, they're going to see God and they're going to accept him. And my response is always, well, look at some of the angels. The angels were there in his presence, very presence, and rejected him. Why angels fell, we do not know. Um, but what we do know is that Scripture says they left their first estate, okay? And that's in Matthew and Revelation, and that they are now reserved unto judgment. Now, Joseph Smith took that statement, first estate, and he stole it from heavenly creations like the angels, and he applied it to earthly creations, man, and which is wholly corrupt and false, and it borrows extensively from a Hellenistic or Greek thought that existed four or 500 years before Jesus was even born. Their mythologies say that men lived in a pre-existence and came down, okay? We know from Luke that angels never die and that they possess superhuman intelligence and power. We also know that their strength is great, uh, which could be the result of them not being confined to a physical nature. And we know that there are, their activities are described in Scripture as marvelous. Some possible angelic beings, I say that because we aren't totally sure, but I think probably so, uh, are named in a specific category. For instance, Scripture talks about seraphim and cherubs, and, or seraphs and cherubs, and those are winged or fiery um, creatures. Some of them stand. That's all they do is stand. They never get to sit. They probably never want to sit. And they were, some angels were created to be around the throne of God, and all they do is worship God forever. That's all they do. That's how these angels were created. They say, holy, 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 all day long, okay? 
Um, when human beings are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us that they can become or they become like unto angels. That's in Luke. And it's quite possible that human beings after this life will take on that glorious uh, physical um, glory upon themselves when, because they have been glorified. Of course, angels are never to be worshipped. And there are no reports of angelic uh, visitations prior to Abraham, okay? And then from that time forward, after Abraham, there are references to their ministries here on earth. They appear and they rebuke idolatry in the Old Testament. They called Gideon to be his, uh, a prophet in his day. And they consecrated Samson. These were angels who did that work. In the days of the prophets, from Samuel on down, angels only appeared on behalf of the prophet that was on the, on the earth at that time. They appeared in the name of the prophet. Then, praise God, Jesus was born. And here we are introduced what is called in Scripture the ministration of angels. It sort of seems like Jesus brought them with him to earth. And they came to do service to the king while he was here and in the flesh. In connection to Jesus, they predicted his coming, as we find in Matthew and Luke. They ministered to him when he was tempted in the wilderness and when he was in, the ag in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they were also all around his tomb once he had died. They declared his resurrection. They declared his ascension into heaven. And since the finished work of Jesus, they are now ministering spirits to the people of God, to the believers. Angels are now sent by God since Jesus broke the chasm down and he shut it down. He shut down all the separation. Angels now come and are with the believers of God, helping and supporting them. We know that angels rejoice in heaven over a penitent sinner and that they not only bear the souls of the redeemed to paradise, so you can know that when you take your last breath, the angels will gather your soul and take you to paradise, but they are also called ministers of judgment and at the after, in the hereafter, Angels are going to grasp those who are hellbound and cast them in the eternal pit. Scary as heck, man. So some people believe, like the premise in, in films, like It's a Wonderful Life, that individuals have a special angel assigned to them for life, and that angel will walk with them and things like that. This thinking is taken from a Hollywood kind of mindset. There's a couple of passages in Scripture in Psalm 34 and Matthew 18 that sort of allude to that, but... While God certainly does send angels to support those who believe and to do his bidding here on earth and to do those types of things, um, there's no basis in scripture for any of us having a little personal angel with us all the time. Because what that does is it takes your focus off God and it puts it on Mr. Angel over here and you start trying to please him and, you know, give him Taco Bell and, and pray to him. And so that, 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 that's not how God wants it. So there, that's the biblical view, except the Taco Bell part. In summary, angels are spirits created by God, superior to human beings in power, might, and ability. They govern the affairs of heaven and earth. And the final state of redeemed humanity is supposed to become like them. Like most biblical Christian beliefs, Joseph Smith took angels, twisted them up a bit, and made them fit his grand view of man and eternal progression. Bottom line, to angels in Mormonism, they are all human beings in some state of progression or another. 
the LDS completely discount the biblical idea that angels are a different species altogether and created in heaven for heavenly purposes. This is illogical to the LDS mind because the LDS mind is centered on man and man is the end all of all creation. They seem to forget that God created fleas and microbes and barracudas and gray whales and that none of these creations will become man either, but oh well. Regarding the nature of angels, uh, Sterling W. Sill, an LDS apostle, said, It is helpful for us to remember that God, angels, spirits, and men are all of the same species in a different stage of development and in various degrees of righteousness. Um, professor Robert Millett, BYU professor, Bob Millett in his book, The Mormon Faith, Understanding Restored Christianity, page 39 said, quote, Latter-day Saints believe that angels are men and women, human beings, sons and daughters of God, personages of the same as we are. Parley P. Pratt, an early apostle, wrote, quote, God, angels, and men are all of one species, one race, and one great family, end quote. Elder Bruce R. McConkie, a more recent apostle, wrote, quote, these messengers, agents, angels of the Almighty are chosen from among his offspring and are themselves pressing forward along the course of progression and salvation, all in their respective spheres. In spite of prevailing sentiments in the religious world, as well as in Christian traditions and legends, Christian legends, millet, uh, Joseph Smith taught that angels do not have wings. These beings, Joseph explained, either have lived or will live on this earth at some time in their history. Adding to the LDS view of man being the center of everything, the LDS also hold a sort of contradictory view. It's a notion that angels are sort of inferior to man. Now, the scriptures teach this opposite, but the Bible is clear that men are lower, and only through the blood of Jesus will men and women become like angels. Inferring to the inferior eternal state of angels, listen to what Joseph Smith himself said would happen to human beings who did not go to the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. In the Standard Works, Doctrine and Covenants 132, verses 16 through 17, it says, Therefore, if a man marry a wife in the world, and he marry her not by me nor by my word, that's the LDS way, and he covenant with her so long as he is in the world and she with him. Their covenant and marriage are not of force when they are dead and when they are out of the world. Therefore, they are not bound by any law when they are out of the world. Therefore, when they are out of the world, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are appointed as angels in heaven, which angels are ministering servants to minister for those who are worthy of a far more and exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For these angels did not abide my law. Therefore, they cannot be enlarged, but remain separately and singly without exaltation in their saved condition to all eternity, and from henceforth are not gods, but are angels of God forever and ever. So what that is saying is if you aren't married and sealed in the Mormon temple and be, go to the celestial kingdom, this is actually related to polygamy too. If you don't do that, you will die. You and your spouse married here on earth for time will be separated and you will become angel servants to the men and women who become gods. 12th president Spencer W. Kimball said, now the angels will be people who did not go to the temple. 
who did not have their work done in the temple. And if there are some of us who make no effort to cement these ties, we may be angels for the rest of eternity. But if we do all in our power and seal our wives or husbands to us, then we may become gods and pass by the angels in heaven. Now, some might say, well, I'd be satisfied just to become an angel, but you would not. One would never be satisfied just to be a ministering angel to wait upon other people when he could be the king himself. As stated, angelic visions were foundational to the formation of Mormonism. Joseph Smith claimed to be visited by more than a half a dozen uh, angels, as the LDS defined them, all of them appearing in glorious white light, all of them bringing a message from the throne of an LDS anthropomorphic God. Now, we can assume one of a couple of things here about Joseph's claims to have been visited by these half dozen or more angels. Uh, first, maybe he was making it all up. Second, he was telling the truth and he actually was visited by all or some of these angelic beings, illuminated beings, I should say. Or third, he imagined that they came and no one ever visited him at all, but he believed they did. Many critics take up the claim with the first root that he was making it all up, that there was never an angel Moroni, never Peter, James, John, never John the Baptist, never Nephi ever visiting him. This is possible. Many other critics take the third route, believing Jesus, uh, Joseph was an epileptic or had a mentally imbalanced mind and saw visions and believed that they were true. All possible. But I want to tell you, in the context of spiritual visitations that are talked about in the Bible, I wonder if the second possibility holds the most water. That Joseph Smith was indeed actually visited by something claiming to be from heaven. I think this explanation is most reasonable for the following three reasons. First, Joseph Smith and Joseph Smith's family's involvement over the course of his lifetime in the occult and in magic. Secondly, Joseph's explanation as found in the Doctrine and Covenant of what you're supposed to do if you meet an angel. And thirdly, the biblical premise that even Satan can appear to a person as an angel of light. We've done entire programs on the Smith's family involvement in magic and the occult. Joseph Smith Jr. and his father were most involved. LDS defenders attempt to say that Joseph's connection with mag, uh, magic and the occult were merely activities of a young man. This is not so. Magic elements and the occult played a significant part in Joseph Smith's founding and even establishing the Mormon faith. If you don't believe me, go to www.utlm.org for firsthand information or read D. Michael Quinn's book, Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview. The night that the angel Moroni, you know, that, that's an angel that's on top of every one of their temples, not a cross, not Jesus, an angel. The night that the angel Moroni supposedly or did visit Joseph Smith, that was September 21st. Joseph had been out seeking for buried treasure with a rock to try to find it under the ground if the demons didn't take it and hide it, and he didn't have any luck. Why that night? Well, on that night, it's the autumnal equinox. And in folk magic, the autumnal equinox is believed to be the time when heavenly creatures can communicate, can communicate most closely with earthly creatures and reveal to them where buried treasure is in the earth. 
okay? And so it's on September 21st, the night of September 21st, that Joseph is out there trying to find this gold with his rock. He can't, he comes home, he lays in bed, and guess who appears to him that night? The angel Moroni, telling him what? Where to find gold plates buried in a hill. So he has this visitation, and every year from there on out, for the next six, four, five, six years, I can't remember, the angel Moroni appears to him the same autumnal equinox night and talks to him about this translation of this book. Okay, this is occult stuff, my friends. Then there's Joseph Revelation, found in the LDS Scriptures, Doctrine and Covenants 129. And in this, Joseph instructs the members on how to discern whether a spirit is evil or not. Okay, this is what it says. There, Joseph Smith says, There are two kinds of beings in heaven, namely, angels who are resurrected personages, having bodies of flesh and bones. For instance, Jesus said, Handle me and see me for a flesh... For a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. Secondly, the spirits of just men made perfect, they who are not resurrected but inherit the same glory. So he says that in heaven there's two types. There's resurrected angel types and there's just men who have not been resurrected yet. When a messenger comes saying he has a message from God, offer him your hand and request to shake hands with him. Okay, so this is an angel coming to you, and Joseph says, in their Doctrine and Covenants 129, shake my hand, buddy. If he be an angel, he will do so, and you will feel his hand. Scripture says angels are spirit. Joseph said angels have a body, and he says, and if he be a spirit of a just man made perfect, he will come in his glory, for that is the only way that he can appear. Ask him to shake hands with you, but he will not. He will just stand, he doesn't say this, because it is contrary to the order of heaven for a just man to deceive, but he will still deliver his message. So he says, a resurrected angel will shake your hand and you'll feel it. A just man who has not been resurrected will not shake your hand, but he will simply deliver the message God sent. Then he says, if it be a devil as an angel of light, when you ask him to shake hands, he will offer you his hand, but you will not feel everything, anything. Therefore, he says, you will detect that it's an evil spirit. These are the three grand keys whereby you may know whether any administration is from God. Okay, I just want to know one thing. When the devil, spirit, when someone says, shake my hand, get smart enough to say no. And then you think it's a just man delivering the message, and then you believe what he says. This stuff is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, what stops, I, what stops, what gets people believing this stuff? Read Doctrine and Covenants 129. It's in a book you call Scripture. Finally, the Bible states that Satan himself can appear as an angel of light. It says, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. That's 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. In the Book of Mormon, Joseph's early work that concurs with the Bible in many ways, it agrees. It says, quote, the angel who fell from before the presence of the eternal God and became the devil, that being who beguiled our first parents, who transformeth himself nigh unto an angel of light. That's in 2 Nephi. Joseph himself admitted that ministering angels from Satan had appeared in the church as, quote, angels of light. That's in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 214, 1842. 
He said, there have also been ministering angels in the church which were of Satan appearing as an angel of light. All this being said, it's really interesting. If you open up the LDS scripture called the Doctrine and Covenants in the explanatory introduction, page one, and it reads, in September of 1823, this was the autumnal equinox, remember that, the most important day in folklore occult. In September 1823 and at later times, Joseph Smith received visitations from Moroni, an angel of light, who revealed that resting place of the ancient record from which the Book of Mormon was afterward translated. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-972-8820, 801-973, excuse me, 973-8820, 973-TV20. First time callers, please. LDS callers, if at all possible, turn your television sets down. And uh, while the operators clear the calls, let's take another look at some of our spots. Many things live in our city. But this Christmas, hope lives here. I'm Sean McCraney with Alathea Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now, all uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries' long-term sustainability without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us, 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. Hey, we're back. We've got Chief from Ogden. He's LDS. We've got Doral in West Valley City. We've got Beth in Taylorsville. But really quickly, we get a lot of emails from you every day. We thank you guys all for them. We're so blessed from here to hear from you guys from all over the world uh, now and who have benefited from the ministry in one way or another. And I want to share a couple of those as we go through the calls because some of them are really good. But let's go to uh, Doral in West Valley City and hear what Doral has to say. Doral, how are you? Fine, how are you doing, Sean? Doing well, Doral. Well, I'm uh, interested in your uh, treatment of uh, Mormon subjects, as jaded as it is. But uh, I had a couple of questions on the matter of uh, Adam and Eve. Oh, okay. And I was interested in what... Uh, you were saying about how the every time there's a child raped or a woman mugged or a murder or any of the other uh, evil things that happen in the vicissitudes of mortality that it all traced back to Adam's decision and yeah. ultimately to the idea that it was the uh, 
plan of the Mormon God. And I, this, this that would be, uh, we would say that'd be correct because certainly the every all of mankind, according to Mormon view, wanted everything God had, and to do that, they had to go through mortality. Now then, let's look at it from the evangelical uh, side. And there, as you said, uh, mankind was, or man was put in the, gar the heaven of the Garden of Eden. But the only problem is the uh, Trinitarian God didn't put him in the Garden of Eden saved. He didn't put him in the Garden of Eden what? Saved. Safe? Yes, because the... Uh, for some reason, the the Trinitarian God, who could have made mankind saved right from the beginning, uh, didn't, for some reason, such as capriciousness or a morbid sense of humor. Well, can I can I answer that, so we, Doral? Can I answer that? You've you've given quite a dissertation here. Uh, First of all, the evangelical God, uh, he is not a despot. He is not going to force Adam and Eve or anybody to love him. And so that evangelical God gave them freedom of choice, and that's why that tree was planted in that garden, and he said, don't eat of it. And he gave them the choice to either follow him in love or to say, we want to do it our own way. That evangelical God is a loving, just, merciful God and, and, and not a Hitler. And he said, look it, I want you to love me because I am who I am and, and, and I love you. And so here, let's do this. But if you don't want to and you want to die, there's a tree over there. Don't eat it because when you do, you'll die. And that's what that evangelical God, he didn't go and he didn't create them saved and put them in the thing. Because then, what, he, what does he have? He has a bunch of automatons worshiping him. He could have created that out of monkeys. But, be, but before that, before that, the, the Trinitarian God pulled a dirty trick on mankind and made mankind flawed when he could have made them all saved. You assume that mankind is flawed because he has the freedom to choose? No. I'm Why? I'm saying that God... That I'm saying that the evangelical God, the Trinitarian God, could have made all of mankind saved right from the beginning. Okay. So that there would be, there would be no fall, so that there would be no misery, there would be no sin, there would be no suffering. Do you know what a robot is? Do you know what a robot is? You're saying he could have what created robots. if the person is saved in heaven, whether he's a robot or not, the end result is being saved in heaven. If the Trinitarian God had not Stop played a dirty trick on You're mankind, me... <laughs> then mankind would have been saved from okay. the beginning. Doral, one hundred percent instead of ninety-nine percent of them going to hell. Oh, uh, Doral, the 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 Trinitarian God, he loves. His creations, he created them in his image, and he gives them the freedom to choose. That's what makes him such a great God. We're going to end it because you're boring. All right. We're going to Chief in Ogden, who's LDS. Chief, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? 
Hey, Chief, you're on the air. I am right now. You are right now. Is this Sean? It is. Sean, this is Chief. How, how you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm Native American, not Indian. <laughs> From India. I didn't hear you, Chief. Uh, I'm Native American, not na uh, Indian. Oh. From India. Okay. Oh, okay. Just get that behind us. I got a really good question for you, and I really do like what you do for us. Uh, if man is man and angels are angels, okay? Yeah. Uh, Michael, dark angel, is Adam now. So how did he become an angel? Okay, who's, who's, who's Adam now? Adam is Michael the Archangel now. Where do you get that from? Was it, isn't he? No. Okay, who is Michael the Archangel then? He's an angel. And he was always been an angel. He was created as an angel. Okay, I'm just, I'm just going on, uh, I was raised LDS. Oh, yeah, the LDS teach, Chief, that, uh, that Adam was Michael the Archangel, and, uh, and right. that is one of Joseph Smith's imaginary doctrines. Gotcha. And, and I, just, I just wanted to clarify that with, with you. All right, my friend. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to Tiffany, who is LDS, first-time caller. Tiffany, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hello, Tiffany. Hi. You have to turn your TV set down, honey. Okay, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so how did we become an angel? I'm still Is talking. Sean? Yeah. Yes, Tiffany. Um, I was just wondering why all the negativity towards the LDS um, religion. <laughs> how old are you, Tiffany? I'm 18, just barely. Really? Well, I like the way you put that for a, a certain reason. It is negativity toward the LDS religion, but it is not negativity toward LDS people. There's a difference. The LDS religion is a lie. The LDS religion leads people from biblical truth. And so I will go and do everything I can to be negative on something that is so viciously trapping good people. But individual LDS, I love them like I love individual Christians, Hindus, Jews, atheists, whatever. Yeah. Because that's what I'm supposed to do, Tiffany. Yeah. But it's Mormon doctrine I'm going after. Yes. Well, in my, my point of view, I don't know if others um, agree with me, but some of the things are... are are confusing, but in, their, in, in reality, if you believe them, it's all about your faith. Like, yes, I understand why, why is it that Joseph Smith could be a polygamist, but we can't now. See, I get a lot of questions at school, because yeah. all of my friends are not LDS. I've got, I've got Muslim friends, I've got Catholic friends, I've got Jewish friends, I've got, but none of them, none of my friends at all are LDS, and I always get the question, so why can Joseph Smith be a polygamist, but not us? Uh -huh. I under—I don't understand, but all I understand is he had a revel revelation. Yeah. See, and sometimes when, because my family watches it every Tuesday, 
Yeah. And so I was just wondering why such the negativity. If people really believe in what they believe in, then can't they wait to die to go see the truth? What? Or have well, the faith to believe it's not true or true? Little Tiffy, let me ask you a question, okay? Okay. You're LDS, right? Yes. Okay, what would you say to somebody who says, I don't believe in God at all, Jesus is an idiot, or someone who says, I believe that I don't need to believe in Jesus, I can clap my hands and spit in the wind and I will go to heaven. Now, is it okay to say, well, you believe that, you have faith in that, and you go on and live your life, thanks for being there, or should you say, I don't think that's right. I think Jesus came for a reason and I want you to understand what that reason is. Now, which one would you choose, Tiffany? In my perspective, I don't know if I should say this. No, you should. But my friend says that to me all the time. And I go, that, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's your choice. Okay. If you want to believe that he's a, mm, a bad, whatever. a whateverness, or a fly in sky high person, then that's your decision. Okay, Tiffany, in the Bible, Jesus says to the apostles, and he gives something called the Great Commission. And he tells us to go out and he tells us to teach what he taught. He died so that, so that people would, would understand what he, he meant to bring for us. And yeah. he, he was serious about that. He, he died so that this message would not be lost. And he took 12 men and he taught them exactly what they needed to know about it. He was very serious. And people would say to him things and he'd say, look it, let me clarify this for you. I'm the only way. And he would say that. So when you say to somebody, well, it's okay, you can believe as you choose, what you're saying is, I don't really believe what Jesus said. Do you understand that? Sort of, yes. Yeah. And so what you want to do is you want to find out what is truth. So let me give you a challenge, okay? Okay. Here's the challenge. There's a book in the Bible which you believe in, and it's called the Gospel of John. I just I'm... want you to take that Gospel of John and just, just don't read the footnotes in it because you probably have an LDS Bible. Just read what the Gospel of John says. And you pray. 30 days. 30 days you pray and you say, God, Sean McCraney, I think he's a liar. I don't know what's right. You show me. Open my eyes to the truth. That's all the test I want. Call back in 30 days and let's see what says. Okay. Is that a deal? Yes. Okay, well, we expect your call in 30 days. Okay, it's called John what? The Gospel of John. Okay. All right? Okay. We'll be praying for you. Okay, thank you. Love you, bye. Bye. Awesome. All right, let's go to, you guys pray for Tiffany, 30 days. Everybody out there. All right, we're going to Beth in Taylorsville. Beth, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hello, Beth. Who's this? Is this the station? This is Sean. You got to turn your TV down. I can't hardly hear you. I don't even have my television on. But the, the uh, uh, could you tell her to turn it down? Turn it down. I have a roommate, and she'll turn it down. There's... Can someone please get me something stronger than water? I can't. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I, I, Are you ready, Beth? Wait, turn down. Okay. You ready? You're on the air. I can hardly hear you, though. Can you hear me now, Beth? 
Beth? I think I can. I just shone. This is. Is this Sean? It is. Oh, Sean, I'm so glad that I'm one of the first ones because I'm really nervous. Um, after listening to you last week, um, I have some questions, um, and I want to uh, re recite something for you that I learned when I was six years old in Carbon County. Okay. Um, you got to turn your TV off. Beth? Sean, I can hardly hear you. <laughs> Beth, we got to let you go, honey, because you got to turn your TV... No, I'm going I'm to read this uh, uh, song that I learned in the first grade. Okay, Jesus read it. He wants me for a sunbeam to shine for him each day. In every way, I'll try to please him at, at home, work, at home, at play. play. A, a sunbeam, a sunbeam. Sun I'll be a sunbeam sun for him. him. That was what I learned in the first grade, and I've been uh, I've been living by that. And I know all about the uh, differences between the Mormons and the uh, Christians. Yeah. I never had a Bible until I was 33, and I never I tried reading the uh, Book of Mormon only once. And I I have a Bible that I'm reading every day right now. Praise God. So where are you at now, Beth? Are you a Christian? Are you LDS? What are you doing? I'm not LDS. Oh. Well, you keep reading that Bible, and uh, we really appreciate your call, and thanks for watching the program. All right? Yeah, I'm living in my last, last days now, so I... Oh, I want to ask you one more thing. Okay. Do you... Do, is this... Uh, I didn't go to seminary. Is there still a seminary? Yeah, they still have seminary. Thanks so much, Beth. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. We're going to Ken and Bountiful. First-time caller. Might be LDS. Ken, this is Sean. You're on the air. Hello, Sean. Ken, you LDS? No, well, I was baptized, but not, not active. Oh, what's happening? Okay, so I've got, uh, I've got a question and then a statement. Okay. Uh, the question is, is, I don't, is there any records of Joseph Smith's visions that any of his neighbors ever came up with, or that prior to 1827, when he when he got the plates, is there any is there any records that you know of about these uh, these divisions from the time he was 14, 15 up till uh, 1827? No, but what there is a record of Ken are the dreams that his father had prior to his 1820 experience, and his father's dreams are replicated almost verbatim in the Book of Mormon. So none of his neighbors ever said that they ever heard Joe talking about uh, having these, having these, the visions of uh, uh, Moroni and... No, I don't believe so. They, I might be wrong. There's a lot of material out there, but not that I know of. I'd have to ask Sandra Tanner sure. much more scholarly. Doesn't it seem, doesn't seem a little odd that, you know, if he's, seeing, if he's talking to God and to Jesus, that uh, maybe one of the neighbors would know about it? Yeah, you'd think. Okay. The next one here is just a statement. Is, uh when uh, Joe got the plates in, uh, I think it was September 21st of 1827, I believe. Yeah. Um, what happened nine months after that? Nine months after. I, I don't know what. The night, you know, what happened nine months after he was, was supposed to get the plates? They, nine uh, months? I don't know. Well, you know, they borrowed the carriage. Yeah. They had a baby. Okay. <laughs> 
think he was supposed to be looking for the plates. <laughs> That's a good one, Ken. That's all I got. I love your show. Thanks. Put up bucks. Thanks Pardon so much, me. my friend. Yeah. Bye-bye. Hey, listen, we got, a, we got an email from Barbara. It says, the difference in my feelings as a Mormon, as a Christian, um, is when as a Mormon I felt moved by the Spirit, I always felt like looking down for some reason. If I was listening to a testimony that touched me or something, I would look down, get teary-eyed, etc. As a Christian, I feel moved by the Spirit when I'm singing during the worship service or something. I want to look up. I want to raise my hands uh, and praise God. The oppression I felt as a Mormon is gone. I no longer have to work my way to heaven. I know that uh, I am saved. I am worthy to look up to God and praise Him. It's like a cloud of burden have been removed from my heart. Rather than experiencing a feeling of regret and sadness because I'm not good enough and I need to work harder, which is causing her to look down. Oh, I wish I was doing what that person's saying from the thing. It's a feeling of joy, gratitude, and love. I think that's an excellent insight into the difference in the feelings between one uh, or the other. Uh, Sarah wrote that I just had to cut off a friendship with a Christian, quote-unquote, friend. I say it that way because I'm not sure she is. She has become a legalistic monster who judges constantly, being so hateful of other sinners, in her case, homosexuals, abortion. And while I hate both sins, I do not feel it my right to judge. I also sin, and God sees sin as sin. There's no degrees of such that I am work, and she asks, uh, what do you think of that? And what I think is, it's a tough balance between sharing truth. Uh, if you share truth without love, you often turn brutal, okay? And if you share only love without truth, then you are often irresponsible. Just like our call earlier. I just tell people it's okay, believe what you want. That's kind of loving, isn't it? But it's very irresponsible because Jesus gave us truths to share. So you have to have a balance between truth and love. So I thought that was an interesting one. Um, Sherry asks, the, what in the Book of Mormon actually contradicts the Bible? And there aren't a lot of things that actually contradict, but there are a few major ones. Uh, and the main thing to know about the Book of Mormon is that it's based on a lie. It's a fictitious people in a fictitious setting in a fictitious account. All the characters are fictional. Uh, many of the cities in this state, Nephi, Lehi, Lehi, Nephi, Amalekai, Parowan, uh, they are all uh, fictional. And many of them are borrowed, especially from the Bible. Doctrinally, the Book of Mormon is quite similar uh, in most respects, but there are a few things that are very wrong. For instance, when it says, uh, you are saved by grace, after all that you can do. You know, that's just a horrible addendum to being saved by grace. It's this idea that you work and work and work and work and you climb up to the very top of the rung of the ladder and God's hand reaches just to that top rung and he'll throw you up. But if you just work and work and you're only about uh, halfway up that ladder, God's reach doesn't get you. So it's only after all that you can do that grace saves you. That's one of the things the Book of Mormon teaches that is errant. Um, we have from... Uh, D. Novak, it says, uh, I watched your show for a while. You've interested me. Last week on your show, this is an old one, you admitted to currently being an adulterer, alcoholic, prescription drug addict, and I was pretty taken back by it. Then I downloaded your book and have read quite a lot of it. It looks to me like you haven't been very honest in your membership in the LDS Church and that you were always on the fringes and not living it, even though you claimed to be active and held responsible positions while you were doing all the bad things on the side. You admitted that you were a liar. 
I am now wondering if you have done the same thing on your show and if this is just another act. How can one ever believe one who openly admits to lying and cheating on his wife and now admits to basically doing the same thing while operating a Christian ministry? I will never watch your show again, and I really don't have any idea where you are coming from. I definitely believe in Jesus Christ, and I'm a firm believer, but now I regret ever listening to you. I regret your ever having watched. Um, nuance is apparently wasted on the literally-minded uh, Mr. Novak. Uh, when I spoke about being a sinner, um, I applied it to my flesh, my person, uh, Sean McCraney, my old man, my former self, but that my new man has been freed from sin by virtue of my faith in Jesus, so it can be with you, so it can be with everybody. In terms of my righteousness as a Latter-day Saint, I tested the righteous act for a good number of years beyond the scope of what many Latter-day Saints would do. I mean, I tried if you read that in the book, and I found that it failed me because I knew I was still a hypocrite, a liar, and a sinner in my heart. That is when and only then that I began to fall apart and I did go down roads that were destructive, which I openly admit in the book. I could have omitted that. The problem is, as I know there's a lot of people out there who are under these chains and they never know the freedom that comes with Christ that will help you overcome these proclivities in your flesh and will assist you because of your faith. Instead, you stay in the LDS church because you believe it's your fault that you don't believe it and that you're not strong, and you just keep on that hamster wheel of trying and trying and trying. We have Dilsa and Murray, first-time caller, Brian and Bountiful, first-time, Anonymous says Jesus confirmed. Oh, well, I can't go to that. Is not finished? Let's go to Dilsa and Murray. Dilsa? 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 Elko? Dilsa. About Elko. Elville? Elko, Nevada. No, I got Dilsa from Murray. Well, whoever you are, why don't you talk? This is Robert from Elko, Nevada. Am what? I on? You're on, Robert. Okay, I just uh, sharing with your screen caller that uh, uh, concerning Michael the Archangel. Yeah. I wonder if people would consider uh, looking through their Bible and consider this that Jesus is Michael the Archangel, Jesus having many names scripturally. He's the blood, the way, the truth, the life. So who else would we expect but Jesus be the head of the angels? So there you have Michael. Well, it's an interesting one. It's not well, biblical, but it's interesting. Thank you well, so it much. Might be biblical. It might be biblical if you, if you go back in there and dig there and see if you ever see in the Bible yeah. where uh, Archangel is ever plural, where there's more than one. Yeah. All right, thanks so much, Robert. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, uh, we are going to, uh, this one says anonymous. says, Jesus confirmed the words of Malachi when he prophesied, and then the angel Moroni changed them in Nephi 2.5. That's uh, too vague. I can't really follow that one. Scroll that back down. Let's go to Brian in Bountiful. Brian, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, Brian. Hey, I guess I had a question for you. I wanted know your perspective on um, on angels and demons and how they interact with the human world today? I, I firmly believe in angels and demons. I believe that they interact in our world constantly. As C.S. Lewis said, every square inch of our universe is under a constant battle for ownership, and the angels and demons are battling it out. I believe that um, they... Uh, they do good and evil 
depending on the respective side. And I believe that uh, God is in control of all of it. And he allows things and he disallows things. I don't believe Satan has a rule that is autonomous and he can do what he wishes. I think it all has to pass through the uh, kingdom throne of God. And that might be troubling to some of you who have very big problems. But there is no uh, better way than to turn in faith and say, Lord, in all these trials, I trust you because you know what's best. That's my take, Brian. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, my friend. God bless. You too, bye. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, really quickly, um, this is a final story. we got two minutes left. I was talking to my brother the other day about religion. He's not willing to leave the Mormon church, but he attends on his own terms. Anyway, he was talking about his friend who lives in Arizona, but used to live in Utah for years. Right before he and his family moved out of Utah, he and his wife were attending a stake conference where they were sustaining new stake president leaders. The new president and his counselors were all seated on the stand with their spouses and were asked to bear their testimonies. One of the counselors stood up and started to cry. He went on to tell everyone in the audience that his elderly mother was on her deathbed. He said that he had gone to visit her uh, that week and talk with her. And as he was trying to talk through the tears, he said he told his mother, Mom, I made it. I made it. I'm in the stake presidency. My brother's friend who hates politics in the church turned to his wife and said, let's go. And they left the meeting. Um, we have had a show before on the arrogance that comes with a doctrine that teaches you that it's by your own righteousness, by your own preparation, your own works, that you make it. And so therefore, the hierarchy, the upper echelons, the higher you go, the more they actually believe they are approaching Godhood. And what a crime that uh, the, everybody in that thing is struggling to reach this certain attainment of celestial marriage, of celestial life, of celestial kingdom, of becoming a God. And the Bible is very clear. There is one God, there is none before him, there is none after him, and that we are to find him and serve him with all our heart, might, mind, strength, whatever it may be. We thank you for tuning in. Next week, if I got my alphabet right, I think we're going to be doing the apostasy, uh, which is um, a very interesting subject because the LDS say that the Christian church that Jesus established was completely lost, taken from this earth, and therefore there needed to be a restoration of all things. That next week, plus much more here on Heart of the Matter. See you then.